Springs. Nearly 500,000 people. Olympic City, USA. Garden of the Gods. Pikes Peak. It's a growing city. Our local government has a lot of employees. What exactly do they do? How does it impact my life? This is where you find out. Behind the Springs, an inside look at your local government. Well, thank you for joining us again for another special edition of the Behind the Springs podcast. You've probably noticed that we've been recording some of these episodes more frequently lately, and that's because we have a lot of important information to share. Thank you for listening and for watching live on Facebook right now. I'm Ted Scroback. And I'm Jen Schrader, and we are really fortunate um, to have Dr. Robin Johnson with us for this episode. She is the medical director for the El Paso County Health Department, which is the main source of credible information in our region. If you have not checked out their um, website, we encourage you to do so, alpasocountyhealth.org. And the El Paso County Health team has been working tirelessly to keep us safe and keep us informed which is really the point of today. So Dr. Johnson, thank you for your time. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And we wanted to start by talking about where we are right now in this new safer at home phase. And I think people, I would assume, still have some questions about it and are feeling a little, um, I don't know if the right word to use is restless, but I think some folks are feeling frustrated and restless and a a bit impatient with when are we going to be able to get back to normal. And it's not going to be a free for all, as we've heard from a lot of folks. But can you tell us about how our community is doing so far? I know we can't completely accurately assess that, but how are we doing and why is it so important um, during this phase to stay the course? Yeah, it's that is actually a really important aspect for us to focus on. And one of the things to focus on is that El Paso County actually is doing quite well. We have several points of data that we follow over time. One is our hospital capacity. The other is our testing capability. And then the third is our ability to to do the contact tracing that we need to to identify where there might be cases. And because we have been able to um, develop those assets, meanwhile, watching the number of cases in our county have plateaued and even decreased to kind of a low, steady thrum, we're in a place to move into Safer at Home, where um, not the other metropolitan areas in Colorado have not reached this milestone yet. So it's really encouraging. That being said... It's not that we get to throw the doors open and just all care to the wind. It's very, very important that we stay this course and think through it logically with a staged and very uh, well-thought-out strategy as to how we move into this next stage of stay for at home. Well, and that kind of leads into my question for you, Dr. Johnson. Um, what are the points that you really want to stress as we are moving into this phase two officially now from stay at home to safer at home? What are main points for um, El Paso County residents? So I think the main point is that we do get restless, particularly after a long winter and then a long winter in which we were staying at home. We um, want to get out and, and celebrate And I think that there are very cautious ways we can continue to do that, just strategically thinking forward, maintaining that six foot of distancing, wearing our masks when we're out in public, good hand hygiene, and uh, if you do have symptoms or concerns, to stay at home. But because we have increased testing, we're really asking individuals who are symptomatic to go ahead, get tested, help us follow where the pattern of this 
virus may be popping up so that we can do that case investigation and begin to understand more of its movement and where we can do some targeted testing to um, and target isolation quarantine to kind of squash those opportunities for it to begin spreading. And so while we begin to step into some of these orders, even the the circle of 10, right? There, we can move into having groups of 10, but that doesn't mean we go from 10 people at 8 in the morning to 10 at 9 to 10 at 10, and then by the yeah. time we get to the end of the day, we've exposed ourselves to 80 people or more. It really is kind of starting with that core circle of 10, and um, then as we get out in time and see that we're doing well with that, we can begin to leverage that good... Um, data and expand it even further. When do you estimate that data to be available or or how soon will we begin to know whether we're being effective in this phase? So we are planning on moving forward. So one of the things as we look forward is we know that we have to think with best case scenarios. So we're prepared for the next stage as it comes. However, we're kind of held captive by this virus. So we're on viral time. And we know the incubation period of this virus is two weeks. And so this week, um, even as we've opened on Friday to some retail and today with some businesses, I would not expect to see some increasing numbers because we still are just in that first few days of incubation. Next week, we may, if we're going to, we might see some increasing numbers, which is why if you're symptomatic, it's so important to get tested so that we can trace that. And then that third week is when we'll really begin to see some of the evidence of whether we're being effective with continuing to open up the ability to interact, but doing so wisely with all of those parameters of, you know, continued physical distancing and the um, wearing of our mask, washing our hands, et cetera. Are there any other misconceptions or misinformation out there um, you know, that you would like to address? Like that circle of 10 is a great point you made, Um, just that that you're hearing from people that is is incorrect. Yeah, and I think one of the um, things that we hear is that, well, I've been isolated at home, so I'm safe. It's okay if we just go ahead and give each other a hug. And that may be the case that you've been isolated, but as we open these doors and we begin moving into some more interaction, that kind of close contact is still the contact where we're going to see transmission. And so while you may have been isolating, I may have been exposed to somebody who is a healthcare worker. And so just by the nature of it, even though they take all of their precautions, they've had more exposure, so that exposure for me is real. And we do know that individuals can still harbor the virus during their incubation period. Before their symptoms, they'll begin to shed virus. And so we want to just be cautious in, as we're still learning about this culprit. Mm-hmm. Well, and to keep talking a little bit about that circle of 10, um, I also wanted to hit on the social distancing percentage that we've heard sometimes in the governor's press conferences for people that have been watching those um, saying, you know, 65% or, or, or so. Can you kind of explain that in layman terms for people so that they understand uh, where they're trying to come at when they say a social distancing percentage? 
Yeah, and, and that can become really confusing because you start getting all of these mathematical numbers. And so the way that I really think about it is um, if you and I were to, like, shake hands and we were, you know, just shaking hands generally with everybody and we hadn't washed our hands in between. So, Jen, let's say you had already sh- shaken hands with Ted and Michelle and Frank I basically now, by just shaking hands with you, have shake, shaken hands with three other people. people. Right. So that one contact actually exposes me to four. Mm-hmm. So when we begin to open up these doors, each exposure, you have to think of each person, you're already, you know, you may not have that full circle of 10. They may have eight other people. So now that one person represents potentially nine individuals that you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. Is that helpful? Yeah, I think and that's... it's a, much more like social networking, right? Yes. It's, uh, it's a viral social networking, it's unfortunately. It's a viral social networking. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's no. true. Uh, when it comes to the safer at home phase two, before we leave that topic, I do want to talk about businesses. You know, um, we've I've heard a lot of folks saying that some businesses are complying and doing this wonderful job and others are a little more lax and not not doing as good of a job. So, um, you know, it would it would beg to ask the question of, you know, what's the best way for the community to handle that? And I would assume we want people to we want to encourage people to go to those businesses that are complying. Yes, I think one of the strongest voices that we have is voting with our actions. So we certainly can, um, you know, there's a call line at El Paso County Public Health if you are concerned about something. Um, But even more so to um, maybe voice very respectfully your concerns and some of that voicing of your concern be can be that you do not frequent that business. If you notice that they're not complying, Um, and you have the choice to go next door to the other retailer or business that is following the guidelines, vote with your actions and utilize those businesses that do have those um, guidelines set in place and help you to facilitate doing the right thing yourself. And that does two things. I mean, it sets the right example, but it's also for your own safety. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, and we like to get a little personal sometimes on Behind the Springs. So I I know we're trying to answer a lot of questions for for viewers and listeners right now uh, about the virus and about what El Paso County is doing. But I want to touch a little bit on, on you yourself through this, because I've been watching you since day one that this is really hit locally. Um, how are you doing? Just to, to put it nicely, what has your life turned into day to day, a change from what the day to day used to be? Such an unprecedented situation yeah. for you. So um, it has been pretty interesting. So as medical director, I have been working from home um, and typically have only been leaving the house to get a walk in each day. Um, and then also when I have press conferences like this. Yes. <laughs> so otherwise have really been working from my office. Um, that has been, um, I, I have a lot of Zoom fatigue, as people call it. Yes. But it's also been fairly phenomenal because I have watched the spring come. I have a 100-year-old maple outside my window and have watched it bud and the birds um, court each other and eat the buds and even the leaves begin to come out, and some other things that I have typically missed uh, because I've been in another office. So that part has been um, 
actually fairly delightful yeah. and, and a secondary benefit. I think the other piece is that um, my, I have one son who lives in Scotland and one up in Fort Collins. And so we talk actually more often and we tend to FaceTime a lot. My daughter's living home, but she is a CNA. So she's very careful about self-isolating because her clientele is very high risk. Um, and she'll be entering her third year of nursing school, so we'll begin her clinicals, um, which will put her in a different risk yep. category, particularly as she starts when we may have another surge. And then my husband is actually an intensivist. He works in the hospital and the ICU. So he and I um, have created a routine that minimizes any exposure that he may have picked up at the hospital um, and come home and we can get into details of the chicken strip that we call it. Or <laughs> well, yeah, okay, what's the chicken strip? Now, now that you brought it up, we got to know what the chicken strip is. So when he comes home, you know, he's been in the hospital, and, and it's actually they – this is their wheelhouse. They are all about infection control. Yes. And he's wearing PPE and all of that, but he steps into the back bathroom and just takes off anything that he's had on while he's in the hospital and then goes up and showers, and um, all of those things go into a bag, which we then put into the laundry machine um, immediately, just so that there's no risk that he inadvertently would have brought something home. Yeah. And well, it sounds like you guys are are a the all American medical uh, couple and family, <laughs> and then being being very cautious with everything, which uh, uh, you know you're you're definitely leading by example uh, through this through this situation, but um, I, I, I think it's great what you're saying about uh, you can look out on that great maple tree and uh, and be able to really, um, I bet that kind of takes you away from what's going on sometimes. Um, yeah. We and, all need to take a break every once in a while. It's a lot do. of information. And there's mm-hmm. such a variety of birds here in Colorado <laughs> that you don't necessarily get a picture of, but if you start at 5.30 in the morning as they wake up and watch them um, anyway, there's <laughs> so people may put on this podcast, but yeah. they could be looking at their birds. I'm just that, saying. That, that's true. I think I think we're giving people a lot you of great information right you now. Have to find a balance. Um, speaking of balance, I know people are as we talked about their impatience um, and trying to balance doing what's good for the community and also what's good for their own mental health and that sort of thing. What what are we looking at in terms of? For the end, are we are we striving toward a vaccine? Are we trying to just maintain? Are we trying to get to that next phase? You know, what should people be thinking in terms of motivating them forward and keeping our community moving forward? Absolutely, that those are really important things because I do think we need to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That this isn't an all or nothing equation, right? Mm-hmm. That it has some points that our participation can make a huge difference. So by the um, social isolation of the stay-at-home order, what we achieved was just to put a damper on something that had was, was raising up as an uncontrolled free-for-all infection, right? So we know that there's this baseline infection, and now by stepping into it strategically and opening up our doors with the opportunity, the tools that we do have at our ready to test, do that case um, investigation, and then going ahead with isolation and quarantine, knowing that we also have hospital capacity to care for people who are having more severe reactions, 
we actually will begin building some herd immunity. So we anticipate there's going to be some cases, but most of the recommendations have been around, you know, monitoring yourself and your own risk. And as we build some internal community herd immunity, we'll have fewer cases due to that. And and we'll have some protection for those that are higher risk because those of us who have gained some immunity can stand kind of in that gap so that it doesn't spread wildly from A to B to C. It would have to go all the way from A somewhere down the alphabet before it could even find purchase to begin infecting someone. The next thing is, I mean, and, and we'll understand more in depth as we understand our antibodies and the immunity that they do infer, how long that immunity might be for, whether it's going to be something that waxes and wanes over time, or something that is more like when we get our measles vaccine, which can be a lifetime of immunity. Mm-hmm. And so there's some answers to be yet known. The second thing is we are giving time for science to catch up. Because we talked like this virus has a two-week incubation, there are some things we cannot rush. It just is within that kind of time window, and we have to kind of rest there. And so science catching up could absolutely bring us a vaccine, which would enhance that herd immunity, and particularly as we would invite people to step into getting their vaccine, it gives them the opportunity to think through all of the other vaccines we should be getting. Our influenza vaccine come this fall Mm -hmm. is going to be offered again. And again, it offers, if not complete, some partial immunity and also creates herd immunity for those who are more vulnerable in our community. It also gives us time for the development of some of the therapeutics that we've been talking about. And there are some hopeful um, medications on the horizon while remisidir, and I'm saying this wrong, I am so sorry. But it's an antiviral that was developed for Ebola, it's been tested. It has very, um, the one study that we actually have that shows Um, some benefit is just shortening that course by four days. And that may not sound like an awful lot, but if you're really sick, that can be a big deal. The other thing that it does, though, is it tells our scientists where this virus may be vulnerable. And so helps them to look at other medications in their arsenal for development um, to say, you know, either to the virus you shall not pass, you don't get to infect, or once it does, to be able to target it and say, we're going to boot you out, right? So there's um, a lot to be developed in this interim. And the more that we stay the course, the more that we protect ourselves, each other, um, the rest of our community, while we're shoring up the whole job of public health and our uh, clinicians and our scientists is to get more tools in our toolbox so that we have a fair fight on our hands. Well, and speaking of the tools in the toolbox, obviously one of those uh, uh, frontline tools is testing. Uh, you've mentioned it a few times already yeah. in this uh, interview. Um, for people that are wondering, or maybe you know they feel symptoms or, or whatever it might be, um, can you give some people ideas of where they can go to get the test? It sounds like um, our test more easily uh, obtainable now. Yes, and there should be tests available for anyone who is symptomatic. Um, And there's discussion for even broadening that. I mean, we just want to make sure that we have the resources to be sustainable. 
Um, so at this time, it's anyone who's symptomatic. UC Health has a mobile site that you can drive up to. It's off of um, Union at Princess Parkway. Peak Vista also has a mobile site. I know that Peak Vista and Optum and Matthews VU all are offering tests through their um, primary care offices. So if you call ahead to let them know you're coming, they can have a test available for you, and then their clinicians can wear the appropriate PPE um, to protect their offices. Um, and as well as the hospitals in Centura and UC Health within um, some of their primary clinics and, and elsewhere. So if you are um, feeling symptomatic, I think the first place to start really is calling your primary care physician. If you don't have a primary care or they're not offering it, at the ElPasoCountyHealth.org, we have a list of places that you can go to get that test, and we would really encourage. Um, and, and the most sensitive uh, time period to get tested is in that first five to seven days of symptoms. So if you can get in then when we have a higher sensitivity rate and it just really does help, one, protect you and those that you love because then you know to isolate, but also that contact tracing so we can assure that we're intervening before spread of the virus. Yeah, and we're not having those large outbreaks. Yeah, and, yeah. that's the okay. goal. Is there anything else? Um, I, I, we're already kind of looking in the future at the end of the tunnel for this, and I, I don't mean to be doomsday, but is there a fear that this could mutate or there could be another strain that comes along um, within the next couple of years or something along those lines where we're uh, kind of back to square one? So um, I think with with viruses, I mean, there's always a chance that they can. Um, it has not historically coronavirus is a different family of viruses than like say influenza mm -hmm. um, and doesn't tend to change its coat. I talk about um, you know the the family of influenza is the same but every season they change the color of their coats because they're trying to mask themselves so it might be maroon this year and yeah. red next year so you might not recommend it completely, but you'd at least have some partial recognition. Um, that hasn't necessarily been the case with coronavirus, but we do know that we've had several more severe coronaviruses in the last decade or so. And so is there a chance of that? Yes. Yeah. Um, but is, is that something that we um, need to be prepared for? Absolutely. But we get in our car every day, we put our seatbelt on, and we drive knowing that we're more likely to run into um, a car accident than many other things yeah. in the day. And so the main thing we're going to do is to really follow the data, follow prevention, do the right things, wear your seatbelt. And, and that is what public health and I think clinicians and scientists are really looking to do for our community but it does take a full community effort. All of us have a role here to play. And while we can get impatient, if we can you know, take a deep breath and really focus on what we are getting to do and not necessarily all the things that we're not, um, but really thinking about you know, that there's an awful lot to be grateful for. And I think each morning starting with some of those things of you know, where have we come from and, 
and the site that we do have a vision of where we're going. And in the right, we're going in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the more steady that we stay on this, the more encouragement and the better for our psychology. One of the worst things is kind of that all or nothing attitude. It's all on or it's all off. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and the uncertainty that that um, develops within us. So if we can stay on a steady course together with some really encouraging civil discourse, um, and see that we have continued results from all of our hard work, there's nothing that can be more encouraging than that, even if the course is slow. So I encourage us all to continue because um, actually El Paso County has done a pretty phenomenal job. Yeah. And um, I'm anticipating that we'll stay the course. Well, you guys are doing great work. And uh, I won't end it on the doomsday question. Thank you for all your... (laughs) Let me end it on this uh, question. What are the positive takeaways that you think you're going to, you're either already seeing or you're going to take away at the end of all of this? You know, some of the positive I think has been just the response of our community as we've begun to look at what it means to stay safer at home. The businesses reaching out to say, what does this look like? Give us guidance. How can we do this responsibly? How do we empower our employees and our patrons Um, The same thing with um, the schools and looking to have some way to really acknowledge the events of graduation and the hard work and what that means, but to do so responsibly. Um, I think that all of those sort of uh, reasonable, thoughtful, and articulate um, individuals in our community that come representing agencies are, for me, as you know, medical director, probably the most encouraging news because I realized that I have a community team along with us and, and that uh, people are really engaged in this and are willing to do the right things. And, and they're incredibly bright um, and passionate about this. Yeah. And, and, and compassionate. And compassionate, yeah. absolutely. And, and I too. think that's the biggest hope is that we do have neighbors and friends. We're all in this together. Yeah. Well, so and true. your Thanks. personal positive must be that you get to see spring uh, in a whole different way this <laughs> I, year. Absolutely. <laughs> for me, that's... <laughs> Got to find the little positives. That's absolutely. right. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. You've been such a calming presence, I think, for our community locally here um, throughout the different press conferences and whatnot, and uh, sitting through uh, all of our tough questions here with, with Jen <laughs> and I. not that tough. No, we're not, we're not too bad, right? <laughs> not Jen, too bad. do you want to remind people where they can uh, find yes, the best information? Yes, we do want to remind you, even though we sound a little bit like a broken record, but ElPasoCountyHealth.org is a, is a wonderful resource for all of your questions. Um, and, you know, even though I know I've heard a lot of folks say, you know, oh, I just, I can't listen to anything more about it. It is important for you to stay up to date on what Safer at Home does mean and at least educate yourself on the basics so that you know the proper precautions to take as you do start to venture out um, and, and you know, start that little circle of 10. So um, we appreciate you um, tuning in with us. And then also we encourage you to email us at behindthesprings at coloradosprings.gov if there are story ideas that we can share or if there are topics that you would like to hear addressed on this podcast. Yes, and I'll be the broken record now. Make sure that you are rate liking and subscribing we aren't coming out with episodes every other tuesday right now we're coming out with them on random days like like today so uh, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite uh, podcast platform and thank you again for watching and listening to behind the springs